Hey, we are in our first week of our new sermon series called Asking for a Friend. So what we have done is starting last week and throughout emails and different communication strategies this week is we have asked you to ask questions. What is God like? Questions about God? Questions about the Bible? What is the Bible stance on this or that? And you guys have asked some really good questions. Now I will say... You guys have asked some very heavy questions, okay? So, today's question, it's a great one to start off with. It's not one that I would have picked myself, but there are much harder questions that are going to have to be answered, and there's much smarter people that are going to be answering those questions. So, today, we are tackling the question of, why does God allow bad things to happen? That's heavy. There's a lot of weight there. And maybe... We have some kind of abstract idea, just based off of what we read in the Bible, some kind of just a little bit of information from here, from there. Maybe it's not really a full idea of why God allows bad things to happen. And so today, I hope that through our time together in God's Word, studying the Scripture, seeing this attribute of God, learning different attributes of God, that we are able to piece together all of these different aspects of an answer to this question and put them together for something that's a little bit more full. So why does God allow bad things to happen? A young man loses his life to a drunk driver. A woman is abused by her husband or someone else. A baby is miscarried or lost in infancy. An innocent child is bullied at school. A family loses their home because mom and dad lose their job. A person is killed. Because of their beliefs, a hurricane devastates a city, or a war demolishes an entire country. How can God allow pain and suffering to exist? The way we're going to look at this this morning is there's basically two sides, two different aspects of how we need to answer this. And one is the intellectual side, the intellectual argument for why God Uh, on an information level, allows bad things to happen. But then there's also an emotional side. And we are not just people that have brains with no hearts. Hopefully we're not people that just have hearts with no brains. We need to put the two together to really fully be able to answer this question. But I think to really engage the heart, you have to have the information in your brain. And then you kind of make that 12-inch difference up with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so that is my prayer this morning is that we are able to answer this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, on the intellectual side, we have to start here. And if we want to know how can God allow pain and suffering to exist, if we want to know how God allows bad things to happen, we have to realize why and how God created us. You see, God created us to relate to us. God wants to be in relationship with us. God created us with free will. God created a world where he chooses to relate to his people according to their free will, not based on us being forced to relate to God. God does not want to force us into a relationship with him. And it's not that he can't force us into relationship with him, but if he did, then we would have no free will, and he would be relating with us in a way that he does not want to relate with us. So it just would not make sense. God creates us with free will. 
But we also have to realize that God isn't responsible for the problem of pain and suffering in the world. Ultimately, we have to really critically think down to what's the problem behind all the pain and suffering in the world, and the main issue here is choice. The main issue here is that we have free will. The main problem here is that we have the freedom to choose. And so what is the problem behind pain and suffering? The problem behind pain and suffering is our choices. Our choices are what causes it. You see, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they choose disobedience. Adam and Eve choose sin. And still to this day, as descendants of Adam and Eve, living in a broken world because of them, and following them with our decisions, and the responsibility of our free will, we don't choose good, holy, righteous things all the time. We, too, just like Adam and Eve, continue to choose disobedience. We continue to choose sin even to this day. But we go back. We see that God created us with the ability to choose. He did not program us to love him from the very beginning. We are not devices that were just produced over and over and over again, that were programmed like robots to love God. Because that is not true love. We need to realize that God longs for us to choose Him. But we have to remember that if we have the ability to choose to love Him and to choose to serve Him, then we can also have the ability not to choose Him and not to love Him. Now, a lot of times this doesn't look like I'm going to go out today and I'm going to choose evil. That's what I'm going to do. Now, a lot of times what this looks like is if instead of choosing to love God, instead of choosing to love and serve Him, instead of choosing to love and serve others out of the way that He loves and serves us, instead what we do is we choose to love, we choose to serve ourselves. And it's often in our selfishness that our sin resides. When we choose ourselves over God and others, it has consequences. And those consequences bring about pain in our lives and in other people's lives. And so what is the problem behind pain and suffering? It's in the way that we were created so that we could choose to relate with, so we could choose to love God. The problem is in our choices, and it's that we don't always choose right, just like Adam and Eve. The problem is that there are consequences. You see, ultimately, when we choose ourselves, no matter what it is, You're choosing not to love, not to serve someone else. And I'm not saying that you become a monk. I'm not saying you sell everything, nothing like that. But there's often a selfish option to any equation. And there's often a selfless selfless option to any equation. And when we look at the life of Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus chooses others time and time again over himself. So if we can choose good, we can also choose evil. For the peak of the mountain to exist, there has to be a valley. Good cannot exist without the presence of evil. If good existed without the presence of evil, it would be normal, and therefore we would not have the choice of anything else but good. It's just another way around being programmed to being forced 
to love God, and that is not what he is after. There has to be a contrast, but we see if God is all-loving, why would he allow suffering? He allows it because suffering can still lead to good. Think about this. Suffering can still lead to good. God can ultimately work out the pain and the suffering in the world for our good and his purpose. It says that, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So this morning, if you are God's, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you have repented of your sins, if you've trusted in Jesus and his work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his victory over sin, death, and the enemy, you are his. If you follow Jesus, you are his. What does Paul say? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So if you are God's and you love him, you can bank on the fact that no matter what you are going through right now, no matter what you have been through, God is going to work it out for your good. Not only is he going to work it out for your good, but he's going to work it out for your good and call you according to his purpose. Last week we talked about Peter being restored and repurposed. God does the same things in our lives. So, before we move on into the emotional aspect of this, there are some things to consider. And the first thing is this time. I think so often we can not see the entire forest because of the tree that's right in front of our face. We get so bogged down in the pain and the suffering and what we're feeling inside of us in this moment right now that we can't see clearly what the bigger picture is. I think part of that is just that's kind of how we're wired. If there's pain in your life, you need to take care of it. You want to get that removed from your life. If you have a splinter, you're going to do anything you can to get that bad boy out of your finger, out of your foot, wherever it is. Pain makes you take action. You want to get rid of that. And so I think there's a reason that when there's pain, when there's suffering in our life, that's all that we can see. That's all we can focus on. But we also have to take into account that we experience life on a timeline. We are born and we go through life chronologically. Time is a straight line for us. God, he is not limited to time. God exists outside of time. God also exists fully in time. You think of this, because God created time, he doesn't have to play by the rules of time. That means that God can be in every second of every day that creation has ever existed, not just in one second, but in every second, all at once, all places, seeing all things. When we experience time, we experience what is happening in the present, and we experience what has happened in the past. So, God, seeing it all at once, has ordered it through the people that he created, and the free choice in the actions that they have made. And he has ordered it to achieve his purposes based on Romans 8.28. So, does God allow, does God permit a great deal of suffering for his purposes? The answer is yes. Is God causing that to happen? The answer is no. God is not making evil happen. God is not making pain and suffering happen. No, he is allowing it. 
He is permitting it based on the free will of his creation, based on the fallen world that we live in. But he is repurposing it for himself. We have to realize that God is wholly good. God is completely just. And God is justly permitted from his zoomed out scope of all of creation, of every second, of every day that has ever been, that will ever be. And he has formatted that for the best for his people and for the best for his purpose. The second thing we have to realize is the purpose of life. If I were to ask across this room, what is the purpose of life? I know for a fact I would get a hundred different answers. But what we see in the world, the world says the purpose of life is happiness. And so for the Christian that is halfway in the world, halfway in the word, what we see is that God's job is to make me happy. God's job is to make sure that I don't feel pain. God's job is to make sure that everything is taken care of, not just my needs are taken care of, but extravagantly more. We have a very prosperity gospel approach. If we don't truly realize what the purpose of life is, and the purpose of life is not for God to make us happy. Now, the purpose of life is to know God. And there are a lot of times in life where suffering actually brings us closer to God. We can see that in the book of Job. We see that suffering brings Job closer to God. But we can also see that in the lives of other people. As people experience and witness the suffering that we are going through, and how God loves us and comforts us in the midst of that suffering. Now those people too are experiencing God. Now those people too are knowing God. The purpose of human history is for God to bring people freely to himself. And so when we look at pain, when we look at suffering, when we look at hurt, it's just one of the many tools that God uses to accomplish that. You can see in countries across the globe that have a high rate of suffering, a high rate of pain, often third world countries, a high percentage, a high rate of people that live in these countries follow Jesus. Why is that? Because they're not comfortable. Because their suffering has brought them to the feet of Jesus, knowing that it's only in Jesus they will ever truly receive comfort. And that's not something you have to purchase. That's something that has been purchased for you by his death on the cross. I think this is why the persecuted church in China is booming. I have some friends that went on a mission trip there a few years back, and they were a part of this underground church. And so to get to church on Sunday morning, they had to start off in 32 different locations. Now, they were a group of 32 people, but they couldn't, as a group of 32, all make it to the same church together because that would have drawn suspicion from the government. And so what they had to do is meet in 32 different places, meet with 32 different church members for the church that they would eventually go to. They would end up going through coffee shops, exiting through the back door, wander down alleys and streets, switching out the people that were leading them, ending up in what they thought was going to be a worship service, and then only to be led 
through two more buildings, six more alleys, and finally getting to the place where they were going to have worship this morning, finally ending up all together. Because if the government found out that they were meeting to worship Jesus and they were an unregistered church, the government would ruin their lives. I think the reason the church, the underground church in China is booming and there are millions and millions of people becoming Christians is because they're persecuted. Is because they suffer. Tertullian of Carthage, an early church father, he lived in the Roman province of Africa. He has a quote, and it says, The blood of the martyr is seed of the church. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. What does that mean? It means that when we are persecuted, it means that when we believe in something so much that we are willing to give our life for it, that people take note of that. When we take comfort in our pain, when we take comfort in our suffering from how we've been comforted in Jesus, people are able to look at that and say, you know what, that's true. That's the genuine article right there. That gospel that they are living for, that gospel that they just gave their life for, that must be what it's really about. And what you see time and time again in missiology is that when someone is martyred, so many people give their life to the Lord. The church grows. C.S. Lewis says something similar. He says it like this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our, circ- in our, consequ- in our consciences, big word right there, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think as Americans, especially as an American church, we've gotten lazy, we've gotten complacent, we've gotten lethargic, we've gotten fat, we've gotten tired because we've had it so easy for so many years. We haven't undergone persecution. We say we're persecuted because somebody disagrees with us. They're not trying to take our lives. They're just a little bit offended in a conversation. And we've had it so soft. We've been playing flag football for so many years that we would say, now I'm being persecuted because somebody disagrees with me on Facebook. Now I'm being persecuted because somebody disagrees with me on Instagram. We need to wake up. We complain about not hearing God, and it's because in our pleasures, God is only whispering. When was the last time you really encountered pain? You really encountered suffering for what you believe? God speaks to us in our consciences. He speaks to us when we read his word. He speaks to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. But where does God shout? God shouts in our pains. And I know some people in this church that have gone through so much pain, have gone through so much suffering. I don't think it's a, co- a coincidence that every single one of those people also has a profoundly deep relationship with Jesus. That's because they haven't had it easy. That's because year after year, day after day, bad diagnosis after bad diagnosis, bad doctor visit after bad doctor visit, they rely on Jesus. They find comfort, they find joy in Him. We've had it easy. I don't think we're always going to have it easy. I think in the years ahead, we're probably going to see that we're going to have it much worse. If that happens, 
when that happens. Let's cling to Jesus. God uses suffering to get our attention. Number three, mankind is in rebellion against God. We see it happen in the Garden of Eden. God created the world, and what did he say? It was very good. And we see the evil was present within it, within the serpent, but man had not yet fallen into the evil that was present by choosing it. We see in Genesis 1:31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then pain, sin, evil were introduced through Adam and Eve's disobedience. And their disobedience brings about a curse. We see that curse, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and, had, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And so we see that there is consequence for disobedience. And for Adam, it was that the earth would be cursed. There would be pain in his working the land, working for sustenance. There would be pain in providing. And let's not lose sight that he would say that you would have to eat of the plants of the field. Vegetarians, salad is suffering. Okay? Let's not lose sight of that. Now, because of the curse on the land, we experience not just pain, not just suffering from those around us. People experience pain and suffering not just from the consequences of the choices that we make, but now because the world has fallen into chaos and into corruption and into the curse as well, now we are feeling it from all sides. Now the world groans in brokenness. Romans 8.22, Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So the brokenness and the fallenness of the world itself and the people within it, this is where our pain, this is where our suffering is stemming from. And the fourth thing is that God's purpose is for eternity. This is huge. Do not lose sight of this. This life is just the beginning said it over and over again, this life is but a grain of sand on the beach, but the width of a hand. We see this in the life of Paul, one of the most faithful Christians, one of the most impactful apostles. Paul suffered more than almost any person I could ever imagine suffered. Just a short list of the things he suffered, imprisonment, he was persecuted. He was nearly beaten to death multiple times. He had rocks thrown at him until he nearly died. He was shipwrecked. He was robbed. He was bitten by venomous snakes and lived. This is like a bad-to-the-bone Steve Irwin right here, okay? He had sleeplessness. He went without food. He went without warmth. And then, as he writes the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18 this is what Paul says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, unseen, that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul, having gone through all that, knew that this was just for a short moment. This was just a span of time. And if he could be renewed in a spirit by the work of Jesus and his inner man, that he could make it to the glorious weight of eternity with Jesus. Paul knew that this would not last forever. So as you are going through pain, as you are going through suffering here, remember that this is not the end. This is just the beginning. There's something so much sweeter on the other side. Now, we get into the emotional side. This is for the people that have watched The Notebook more than once, okay? <laughs> we see that we may have the intellectual answer, but a lot of times, for anybody that has the feels and that wears the feels on their sleeves, we see that we may be able to explain evil, we may be able to explain suffering, but that doesn't take away the sting. That doesn't dull the pain. That doesn't help the experience that we're going through. So how do we deal with this pain? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to someone that I love? I want to start with a reminder. And I want you to know that this reminder may sound harsh at first, but it's not directed in that way. See, this first reminder is a promise, but this promise is followed up by another promise. So this first reminder is that God never promises that this life will be easy. I don't know why you started following Jesus. I don't know why you repented of your sin in the first place. But if somebody told you that if you give your life to Jesus, it's going to be easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. If somebody said that when you give your life to Jesus, that it's just going to be rainbows, unicorns, and sunshine, that was a lie. They said you're going to strike it rich. You're going to get the car you've always wanted. You're going to get the job you've always wanted, the life, the wife, the husband you've always wanted. That was a lie. God never promises that this is going to be easy. In fact, Jesus promises the exact opposite. He promises trouble. He promises hardship. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is not saying, suck it up, buttercup. Jesus is not saying, just power through it. Jesus is not saying, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Do this by your own strength. No, what Jesus is saying is, this is going to stink sometimes. This is going to hurt sometimes. There's going to be times where you think you're, you're going to think you can't make it through. A lot of times, people here and print on the side of coffee cups that God never gives us more than we can handle. Tell me where it says that in the Bible. I think God consistently in my life has given me more than I can handle. 
Because the promise of a life in Jesus is not that I have to get through this on my own anymore. The promise of a life in Jesus is that now I have the power of the Holy Spirit to get me through it. Now I have the comfort of my Savior to get me through it. That in me you may have peace. Not in yourself. Not in anything you can conjure up. Not in anything you could binge on Netflix. Not in anything you could scroll through on the internet. No, in me you may have peace. That's Jesus. That's Jesus alone. And then he says, take heart. Because I have overcome the world. If it wasn't easy for Jesus, why do we think it should be easy for us as a little Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian. As followers of Jesus, why would we have it any easier than him? So, let's find our comfort in him. While God doesn't promise life will be easy, God does promise to be with us in the midst of suffering. And this is beautiful here. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. A little bit of 4. Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. What we see here is that God is not leaving us down here alone. God is not leaving us isolated to suffer in this by ourselves, but he is comforting us in the midst of them. Does it say he's just comforting us in a couple of them? No, it says in all of our affliction. In my life, from ages 17 to probably 22, 23, until I really fully surrendered some things in my life to the Lord, I can recall being so angry at God, being so furious at God for the things that I had been through because of failed marriages, because of divorce, time after time, because of things that had been done to me that I had no control over. I didn't know how to handle those things. And so instead of handing them over to God and receiving comfort from God, in all of my affliction. Instead, what I did is I packed that inside. I said, no, this is my hurt. This is my pain. I'm going to deal with this. And so instead of finding comfort in God and then in turn receiving restoration and moving on, what happened was I just got mad. I just got furious. I didn't want to have a close relationship with God because then I would have no one to blame my problems on. No presence to blame my pain and my suffering on. It wasn't until I let God in, until I let God close, until I said, God, this has happened to me. Can you help me through this? You know what? That wasn't a surprise to God. He knew that happened to me. God, I felt this way when my stepdad walked out of the picture. You know what? That wasn't new to God. I didn't need to be angry at God. I think God can handle our anger. I think there's a stage where we will be out of our flesh. But God saw those problems. He swept in. It's almost like he said, I've been waiting for you to give this to me for five years. And when I finally did, God started to work through him in my life, through other people he would bring into my life, through professional counseling. 
Counseling is okay. There's no stigma against it. If you need to go to a counselor, guess what? Let's be friends. I got a counselor too. I'll give you his card. He's great. We have to work through that stuff. And when we work through that stuff, we receive restoration. And then we can move on. God promises that he will be with us, that he will comfort us in the midst of all of our afflictions. So things to consider. And these are big. First thing is that we caused the problem. It was our free will. It was our choice. We chose evil. We chose sin. We caused the problem. But he provided the solution. See, man kind let sin in in the garden it was god that provided the way out in his son see that jesus stepped down from heaven jesus enters the timeline jesus lives a perfect life jesus dies for our sin jesus takes the penalty he bears our consequences and then jesus rises from the grave defeating sin defeating the enemy and this is the good news that is the gospel so that we can have hope, so that we can have an eternity of goodness, not of pain, not of suffering, so that we can be made clean from the pain and the suffering that we have caused, and so that we can be made right with God. We also see that bad things happen to good people, but the worst thing ever happened to the best person. Jesus was the only truly righteous one. And he suffered more than we could ever imagine. Jesus is no stranger to our pain. And Jesus, even in being the only righteous one, still takes the cross to restore us and to repurpose us for his good. And so because of that, we have some next steps. Yes, there is bad in the world, but you have a part to play in the good in the world. It's not like we're sitting on the sideline. See, bad things equip believers for deeper ministry. We finish out those verses that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and now we finish it out, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Hear this. Those battle scars that you have from those things that have happened to you, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I wish that hadn't have happened to you. But they did. And God is using that now for your good and his great purpose. Those battle scars that you try to hide, that you try to cover up and make it look like you have it all together, like you're not hurt, like you're not dealing with something, those battle scars were meant to help other people through their battles. So let's stop trying to act like we have it all together. Let's be vulnerable. Let's let our defenses down and let's help someone else who is going through the same thing. Being a part of the church, being a part of Christian community means that we weep with those who weep. It means that we mourn with those who mourn. It means we grieve with those who grieve. If you have been restored and you have been repurposed, then you fight for the restoration of other people through the power of Jesus.
We comfort those that need comforting. Why? Because we have received that comfort from God. And now we extend it forth to other people. Whether that's people in this church, whether that's people that live next door to you, whether that is people that live in your home. If you are part of Asante Church, this is why we live here. This is why we worship here. And this is why we leave here. That's to put these things into action. Go to the people that are hurting. Go to the weak. Go to the downtrodden. They need you. They need what you have been through. And we need to let God use it. I think there's a couple of places that we can fall today. The first place is somebody who needs Jesus' comfort. Somebody who needs Jesus' restoration. And what we see in the gospel, what we see in the scripture that we have read today, is that God wants to comfort us. God wants to restore us. But in order for God to love, in order for God to comfort, in order for God to restore, there's something that has to take place. It's part of that free will in choosing Him. We need to repent of the sin of the pain and the suffering that we've caused other people in our lives. We need to repent of the pain and the suffering through the sin that we've caused ourselves. We need to trust in Jesus and his work on the cross and his victory and the resurrection to forgive us of those things. And then we need to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, we see that God looks after his children. We see that God comforts them in all affliction. And so if you are here today and you are looking for peace, you are looking for comfort, but you have not given your life to Jesus, then you're looking in places where you will never find it. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. It matters what you do with Jesus. We need to follow Jesus and in following him, receive his peace and comfort. The other place we can land today is for the Christian that has been following Jesus, whether it's been for a day or whether it's been for 60 years. There's so many times where, just like me, we can hold on to our pain, we can hold on to our hurt, whether it's because we don't think God can handle it, whether it's because we don't want to overburden God like his plate is full. He's all-powerful. His plate's not full. He invented plates. He's got plenty of them. He can deal with your mess. Take your hurt, take your pain, take your suffering to the foot of the cross. Lay it down to Jesus. Ask him to start working through it. Ask him to restore you. To take all the broken pieces of colored glass and to make it into something beautiful, like stained glass. And then to repurpose you, to introduce others so that he can do the same in their lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that in that, when we choose to repent of our sin, when we choose to follow you based on your calling in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you can take our pain, you can take our suffering, that you can comfort us, that you can give us peace. We thank you that you can take the pain and the suffering that we have caused, and you can forgive us of that. We thank you that there is restoration in you, Jesus that we don't just have a place as water boys or cheerleaders on the sideline, but that we get to get into the game. 
that in our restoration there is a repurposing. And as we, we move forth working out our restoration in you, we can help others in that process. Thank you that there is a plan in place for our lives. Thank you that you have invited us into your bigger story. Thank you that we are not the main characters, but that we are following you as the main character. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your sacrifice. God, we love you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are just. And that while through the free will and the choice of others, you may permit the pain and suffering in our lives, thank you that this is only temporary. And thank you that you were ultimately working it out for our good and your great purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.